this week on Keystone Conversations. What does the hand of God look like? And is it present at Keystone Church? Welcome to Keystone Conversations. My name is Randy Woodbury. I'm an elder here at Keystone Church, along with me, my co-host, Philip Ramsey. Here I am. Also an elder at, here at Keystone, and well as phenomenal fifth grade teacher today. Was That's that what, what happened today. Well done. Actually. Well done. Excellent. It was a, a riot. You know, riot. you can teach fifth graders, you can teach anybody. <laughs> That's what I said. That's and what I, I always say that, too. And our guest is our worship and community pastor, Todd Wallace. Todd, good morning. Greetings, everyone. As we just finished up third service, and you look back... Uh, before we give you a moment to maybe just clarify anything that's in your mind and heart as you finished after three services, Philip and I did think it would be appropriate to make fun of you on the hands obsession. I appreciate that. Go for it. I was actually going to look up to see if there's actually a, a diagnosis, a word for that. <laughs> yeah. Handology. Yeah. What, would, what, would what could that be? <laughs> and Renelle was actually at the coffee bar today. Carpal Do you think people would go obsession. to her and look at her hands? Do you think yeah. that she was I'm sure, noticing? I'm sure I, I put her on the spot. <laughs> but the only thing that came to my mind is he must be so fascinated when you get a very good close-up illusionist. I'm talking a, a close illusionist, oh. not, not the Copperfield big one. Yes. The David Blaine right here. Sure. That just must, just must be an awe. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. The ability that the hands have to both play instruments, but also, yeah, to deceive. Yeah, thanks, Ray. That's good. No yeah. problem. You That's know, uh, in complete seriousness, though, I've never really s- focused on the hand of God like you did today. So I yeah. appreciated that. Thank you. You're welcome. The and text so as, draw it out. Yeah. Good. So as we yeah. kick into some parts of your sermon and, and some conversational thoughts we had, uh, first thing that came to mind is you did spend a decent amount of time on Antioch, uh, what it looked like as a city, as an urban center. And I think you, you kind of alluded to it, but could you dig into that a little bit more? In a modern-day context, what would be, in your view, an Antioch-type situation? Well, I mean, like I mes- mentioned in the sermon, I, I think our university centers are at least somewhat representative of uh, just the hodgepodge of ideas, of philosophies. Um, I, I think even perhaps maybe there's a tolerance in that environment for that kind of diversity. So any of the... Oh, I don't know the the craziness, the crazy immorality, or the crazy philosophies can come to life because there is a tolerance, and so we see it, and and we we hear teachings come from there, we hear books written from there, articles written from there, and 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 what we find is that it's actually very shaping of our culture in its perversity, in its uh, now obviously there's positives that come right. out of the universities. I'm not trying to dog on universities at all, but more trying to bring out the fact that they are they have a very modern yeah, I guess tolerance was the word that came to my mind that it's kind of a, a well, cesspool sounds really negative. Uh, a petri dish of opportunities for any and all kinds of religions, philosophies, moralities, well, all that. So, Right. And I think is a couple of things stood out is it very much in context with how everyone comes into the central place. Right. You could argue today's urban centers, you have a similar concept, but you can still kind of isolate yourself in urban centers right, pretty good. Right, right, right. But in university setting, you're still forced to be in that same centralized area so much uh, – Opinions, viewpoints, perspectives, theologies, 
backgrounds. It really is that focus. And I would say, and what you had linked it to last week, we sometimes view those situations as, well, God can't touch that. That's a lost cause. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great reminder to us that it, you know, as much as our our human mind will want to limit God, God knows no limits. Absolutely, absolutely. So as we look at your four points, and you had four main ones today in terms of what does the hand of God look like? Uh, the four were increased numbers for the kingdom, radical obedience of the people, unity of the church, and radical generosity. And I thought you did a very good job of going through those. But let's take a little more further, and let's look at a couple things if we could. One, let's look at what the opposite of each of those look like. And then maybe if we could speak to specifically in our context, how does Keystone stack up in each of those? And okay. actually, I want to kind of take those in reverse order because this could be the reverse order of where you spent time. And so that way we'll spend a little more time. So let's let's start with radical generosity. What does the opposite of that look like and how does Keystone stack up there? Oh, man. Wow. wow. Just a small Go. question. Boom. Yeah. Happy Sunday. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe I can back up just real quick. There's a really, real inherent tension here that I tried to ride all morning in this text is that is there a logical conclusion that if these four things exist, then it's necessarily the hand of the Lord. And I, I think we need to be careful, maybe just to set up our conversation, mm-hmm. just saying mm-hmm. that the lack of or the existence of does not necess- necessitate either God's hand of favor or his lack of favor. That's I think clarity. that's really important here. Um, in terms of generosity, radical generosity, um, I, I think the, obviously the opposite would be perhaps stinginess i'm trying Hoard, to think word. I think hoarding yeah hoarding mm-hmm. yeah right and and maybe recognizing that we're going to try to make our uh building or our environment or there's a self-orientation to it and i think mm. that can be expressed in numerous ways it could be personal mm-hmm. um personal aggrandizement personal um uh, benefit or profit. It right. could be also collective or organizational self-orientation. Mm. I think that would be the opposite. I mean, there's plenty of money that can be brought in, especially as we talk about the American church, uh, the Western church, perhaps, that money is typically not one of the main issues. Uh, but what the issue does become is where does it go? Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. the indictment on the the American Christian church often is rightly so against a an outward focus when when a budget oftentimes is is if you look at most budgets in churches you see that the majority mm-hmm. stays in house and mm-hmm. i think that's that's not necessarily or it's not at least what we see in this text right. it's funny to me thinking about the people who really go after this oh you're just trying to get numbers because you want more money really those people are the ones who normally have the heart issue themselves as well yeah that's Isn't interesting. Interesting? it's very true very true um so it's just a kind of a thought I had while you were talking about that. And so the opposite of radical generosity, I think we said would be a lack of generosity, but it could be in a personal context. It could be in a corporate context. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I think we've talked before whether our decisions we've made at corporately in terms of office space versus children's space, decisions made personally for Ankeny and things of that nature. Um, I've been encouraged that there's opportunities for us to display that radical generosity. And so something for us to continue to look at. What about unity of the church? The opposite of that would be disunity. 
Um, what does that look like, and how do we stack up with that? Gosh, it's a great question. Uh, I'm thankful to uh, guys like Brent and, and Austin who are coming in from other contexts that are much more diverse than the ones that I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So to be able to have people to stand up, I, even our sister church, Cottage Grove down south, uh, with Recab and Andy mm-hmm. at the helm, have really made it a priority to be able to say uh, racial Reconciliation, unity among us, specifically in that area, will speak volumes in our culture. And so when the opposite is true, I think when, man, I guess I haven't thought much about what it would look like to have the opposite. I mean, is there, are there racial... Uh, not slurs, but, I mean, do we, do we kind of slip in? Does it kind of, you know, uh, an exaltation of... I don't know. Uh, help me out. What would you guys think yeah. of that, that, that looks like in a church? When I thought of that, I thought about like this, just two, like a church that was just thriving at one point, And then half of that church decides they're going to think about something different or they're going to believe in something different. Yeah. And they go a different direction. Right. For us, I mean, I think for just Keystone, the unity of our elders is powerful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I take that for granted. I've never been a part of an eldership team ever. And so going into something that's functioning so well and unified, not saying that we always agree, but we always support and respect each other yeah. going the right direction. That's It's almost like a top-down yeah. attitude and atmosphere that's created. I, I think that's a great point. I, one of the things that we prayed for very specifically, and I've prayed for for uh, probably 20-plus years in Ames, is... Help us to be unified as an elder team. And, Lord, help us to be unified as a staff. And help us to be unified as members and so we could be unified as a church. And what we found oftentimes in our family meetings is that we come to some of these big decisions, uh, big staffing changes, or big purchases, or big uh, massive financial decisions. And we come to family meetings and we propose a solution. Everybody go, yep, great, great. We trust you. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Wow, that is a great mark of God's unity within the church. Now, I think it's people making the choice for sure, sure. Uh, to to I'm just going to trust the Lord. I'm going to trust this. But but I think the fruit of that is just a general unity in in the environment. And you see this in this text today, and you mentioned it as we are now called Christians. Yeah. Like it completely disposes all other like names for you. Right. You're not black, you're not white. I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. And that is unifying in and of itself. Yeah. Well, I think through, there's a couple of spot checks I always like to, to point to because I have been in situations that have been much less harmonious in a spirit of disunity. What I've tried to tell is like when I talked to April, my wife, and if I come out of a decision we made as an elder team and you can't tell what side I was on because I'm, I'm talking our united decision, even though in the room I might have been passionately on a different side, mm-hmm. right. that's what point. it looks like. And so I think back to the verses says, well, you're of Paul and you're of Apollos. Well, we oh, yeah, could great have, point. Great point. you're of Austin, you're of Todd, you're of Brent. Uh, and if we go down that road, we're probably off track. But if we're united under our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that would be a great How, point. Let me throw a question back at you guys. How do we That is not, not allowed here. Too bad. Uh, well, how do we get to the point or how do we keep ourselves from becoming like that? Because, I mean, I think we can even say, it. oh, I kind of like Brent's teaching better or I kind of like Austin. I like the leadership that Austin does or the way Todd does worship and Eric, whatever. How do we not become that? 
Partly it is the authenticity that we have developed, whether at the connection group level or in our worship level. Yeah, if we're truly being authentic, those things should pop up. And they they will pop up. It's not that they won't, but then they can be dealt with quickly. It's when they pop up and are allowed to fester unattended and unaddressed Great point. that it goes out of control. Yeah, For me, I would say the having an elder-run church versus a single pastor run church is another way that we can combat that and having different personalities and backgrounds in the elders team helps us get a good base of what's happening underneath instead of some person leading it. Like let's say Brent is now leading the whole thing. That's a different type of leadership. That's a great point. That breaks down. I think over time, like it can work for some time, but without that, one, the cornerstone DNA of having multiple leaders, I think that helps. Yeah, plurality. Having yeah. an elder-run church for me is a huge way. Great point. So the last two, and we can look at the, the radical obedience of the people and what that looks like. The opposite of that would be a lack of obedience and then increased number. Uh, does that look like falling numbers or not being impactful? Um, how do those two shake out in terms of how we step up, stack up as a church? It's a great point. I, I think... It's linked perhaps even Mm -hmm. to number three in the sense that when we cast vision for people and we say, this is the direction we're going, like maybe for Ankeny, for example, this last fall, to be able to say, guys, we're going to give. And I want you to give uh, out of a joyful heart. And I want you to give your time to come. And people go, okay. There's something about that that's so enjoyable, uh, something so motivating. But I think we've all been in context where you cast a particular vision, and typically what you get is questions back or, yeah, that doesn't pertain to me, or I'm not a part of that, or that's not the, my background. That's not the way we did it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't have a lot of those conversations. Uh, the, people have preferences all the time. But I think it's when we, we start letting go of some of our preferences for the sake of the vision that you get the unity. But I also think when people just have recognized that they have a responsibility within the church to just do what the scriptures have asked them to do. Something is inspiring about that, as opposed to, again, the general um, difficulty. I think there's a passage, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to find it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, Paul, I think, encourages the church, don't make it difficult to be led. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and be a blessing to your leaders, you know. Uh, mm. and, and I think that we see that in our church. I see it all the time, and I'm so... It, it's so fun to be a pastor to people that want to be led. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I wouldn't want to be a part of that church. And I think since I've been a part of the church since the beginning up in Ames and the beginning since here, I've not really had to deal with that in environment. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm encouraged. Let me jump off on that, too. And you spent a very good explanation on the number issue and a very good summary of the elder team as leadership on staff, what our focus is. Um, if I may, let me just expand on that a little bit as well, because I'm sometimes accused of being the numbers guy. Nice. <laughs> numbers yeah, yeah. in of itself, as, as you've heard me say many times, are irrelevant. It's numbers in a context and a narrative. And so when we look at how many people are here on a Sunday or how many people are in a connection group or how many people attended a connection group or how many people are at our equipping events, those aren't just for the in and of themselves and absolute. We're trying to see how good and how well we are helping people know and follow Jesus. Good. Yeah, good clarification. And so it's 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 a metric point mostly to see if we're being effective in helping people. If we're not being effective, we need to change it up. And at the end of the day, 
frankly, God's not going to care how many people was our average Sunday or how many people are connection group. We're going to look before, as we stand before him, how many are written in the book of life yeah. and have a Great real point. established relationship with yeah, him. Let's focus on the, on the two, three, and four, the radical obedience, the unity of the church and the radical generosity and the numbers will handle themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and I think there's a tension there though, because we, I think your clarification is good because there are plenty of churches that have a ton of people. And I think it's very safe to be able to stand on the outside and say, that is not what God has asked the church to do. That's not what they asked the church to be. The leader is not exemplary mm-hmm. in the character of Jesus and the, what he is teaching theologically. Uh, there's no accuracy to what, so it can't be that numbers are there so therefore the hand of god is there mm-hmm. that that can't mm-hmm. be what we're saying um and i think it's also possible and i think this is worth addressing now that if numbers are not there that the hand of god isn't also upon you very true because um who it's it's one of the famous guys i always try to quote him and i always forget who it is it might be hudson taylor it might be one of these guys that went and gave his entire life was he in india was it India or China? I China which yeah, it's one. one of those. Then he went and gave, and, it, and I think it was him that lost a bunch of his family members mm-hmm. in doing so. And so never saw it anything. Is, is, and rarely ever saw a single convert, maybe one in his life. Is the hand of God on him or not on, on him? If we define it by the fact that numbers are large, Great therefore point. the hand of God is there, we will have completely missed the point. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's critical that we, that we make that note. I think that's great. And the point that I would like to just make, because there's a lot of people at Keystone that don't really understand what Cornerstone was like or the Salt Network and how powerful that is to be plugged in. But I remember Cornerstone. That's where I attended before I came to Keystone. Yep. They had this amazing ministry called D6. And they had numbers upon numbers. And it was a children's ministry on right. Wednesday night, I believe. And hundreds of people would come. Yeah. And as the elders were talking about that, they realized that that's, for some people, taking place instead of parenting their children. Yeah. And they're like, this is actually missing the boat. Mm-hmm. Now, what a great thing to be plugged into when they see that something's missing the boat and other churches would just pride themselves on this D six and what's happening when all the families are coming together every Wednesday yeah. and they cut it off they cut it. because they weren't finding the fruit of what they truly intended them to point. being. And so to be that have be that of our DNA and have that in our DNA is so powerful yeah. when it's not about the numbers. It's about trying to know and obey Jesus and follow closer it's to a, him. It's a great point. But we do have to wrestle with the text when it says the hand of the Lord was upon them mm-hmm. and they added great numbers to their people. So there is a response sometimes in his hand that numbers come. And I think that's what we see here uh, at Keystone. And as we conclude for this week, as you you finish with us, uh, use us, pray for all, rejoice corporately with what God is doing. I thought it's a great reminder as we go through this week what we may do. So thank you, brother. Well done. Please contact us at keystonelife.com. And until next week, go in grace and peace.